Hi, everybody. I'm Deb Hastings. I'm the Director of Continuing Nursing Education, and um, I welcome you to this session of Nursing Grand Rounds. Today we're talking about conflict management and difficult conversations. I would like to welcome anyone who is viewing this session online, and the program is being recorded as well. For folks who are watching from afar, um, and if you um, do have a question, please contact Judy Langhans. She will be monitoring her email throughout the session, and she will relay your question to the speaker. Her email is judith.m, as in May, dot Langhans, L-A-N-G-H-A-N-S, at hitchcock.org. You must attend at least 80% of this program to receive credit, and the educational activity does carry one contact hour. We want you to know that neither our speaker nor anyone on the planning committee has identified a financial interest or relationship with a commercial entity or any conflict of interest regarding this activity, and no one refused to disclose. Our learning outcome for, for today is as follows. At the conclusion of this activity, Participants will be able to apply new knowledge in order to address sources of conflict in the workplace using a five-step process to prepare for a difficult conversation. Our speaker for today is Joni Spring. And I just want to highlight a few pieces of information about Joni. Most of you know that she is the Director of Nursing, Outpatient <coughs> Nursing, and Clinic Operations, as well as Director of Nursing of the Jack Burns Center for Palliative and hospice care here at Dartmouth-Hitchcock. She received her undergraduate degree and master's degree in nursing from UNH and is a doctoral candidate at Capella University in Minneapolis. I think within a couple of months we'll have to call her Dr. Joni Spring. Counting on it. Um, in addition to her role here, she does serve as adjunct faculty at Southern New Hampshire University. Prior to her leadership role here, she... Um, uh, had several leadership positions uh, at the Elliott Health System in uh, Manchester and uh, spent many years there um, in, in a variety of leadership positions, and we're just really happy to have her here. Uh, for certifications, she is uh, certified through AONE and has uh, a certification in executive nursing practice. She's actively involved as a, board of, a member of the board of directors of ONL, and is a member of AONE. She's happily a member of NHNA and ANA. And I love that her office is right across from mine. <laughs> so without further ado, please welcome Joni to the podium. All right. Nice again. All right. So good afternoon, everyone. Uh, so yes, um, as Deb said, today we're going to talk about difficult conversations, um, and hopefully you'll leave at the end of this hour with some strategies for how to make them less difficult. I can't promise they'll be painless, um, but hopefully you'll leave with some strategies to at least make them go um, a little more smoothly. Um, so would you be surprised to know that research shows that, that on average we all spend about two to three hours per week uh, managing difficult um, difficult situations. So I thought that was a little on the low side. I'm not really sure how everyone else feels. Um, but it feels an awful lot like uh, I spend, just personally, a lot more time than two to three hours a week. Um, so I'm not really sure, you know, what exactly they were measuring when they talked about that. 
Um, but what happens when we're dealing with difficult conversations is, or difficult situations, it takes us away from our real work, right? It takes us away from the meaningful work of advancing practice and creating professional practice environments where nurses and our teams feel engaged. So it just it distracts from probably the passion and the things that we want to be involved in. So. Um, so hopefully we can uh, help together to talk about how we can decrease the amount of time or at least decrease the stress involved in having those difficult conversations. Um, a couple of things to remember that it takes time um, and it takes a lot of practice. So having difficult conversations, um, you know, isn't, you know, just like learn how to do it after an hour, you know, session like this. Um, people often ask me, you know, how do you know what to say? Well, I used to say that when I was a younger, you know, leader, I would say to my, um, to my colleagues my, that were more seasoned than I was, like, I wish you could just be in my ear. Like, I wish I was like Spock and I had a little communicator and I could say, oh my God, what do I say now? You know? Um, and so I, it, it just takes practice and, and putting yourself in those situations um, in order to, to learn how to do it. So there is no... Um, easy button, uh, no button to push that helps us to just be perfect at this. It takes time. Um, and then lastly, I would just say specifically to DH, I can't recommend enough um, partnering with employee relations um, when you have to have a difficult conversation that you can do all this work, but really partnering with employee relations is important. Um, when I came to this organization about two and a half years ago now, um, I still to this day continue to be impressed with the level of support um, that we receive from employee relations um, when meeting, and, and I've done this for a long time. I mean, I remember my first meeting with um, Steve Woods in my office when I had to, the first time I had to have a difficult conversation, and you know, I thought I was pretty good, right? I thought I knew I'm teaching this stuff, right? I thought, you know, that I had this down pat. Um, and he really, with this particular situation, helped me to see that that wasn't, I didn't know it all, you know, that they, they were still learning to be had, and I just find them to be a great resource. So I feel like I need to put in a plug for my uh, employee relations colleagues. All right. So, all right, so this is just, oh, there we go. Okay, so, um, we're going to talk a few, so by the end of this presentation, I would like for you to be able to define conflict, recognize the sources of conflict in the workplace, identify strategies for managing conflict, understand the characteristics and drawbacks of the different ways in which we manage conflict, learn a five-step process to prepare for a difficult conversation, and identify important elements and how to have crucial conversations. So that's a lot for the next 50 minutes, but I think we can do it. All right, so I thought it was interesting, um, as we think about what conflict is, that the Chinese symbol for conflict combines the symbols of danger and opportunity. I thought that was pretty interesting. So with, with conflict does come opportunity, and it feels a little dangerous, or it can feel a little risky at times. Um, but the official Wikipedia definition of workplace conflict is a state of discord, caused by the actual or perceived opposition of needs, values, and interests between people working together. So what that means is people don't agree, or people have different perspectives, or people have different values. Um, so what else do we know about conflict? That it's natural, normal part of any human interaction, so it's never gonna go away, um, even though we might like it to. 
Um, there are generally opposing opinions, so people have differing perspectives on the same issue. Um, it's complicated, right? Emotions can be high, the stakes can be high. Um, it, it's really about what we do when it occurs that's important. Um, and we really don't want to ignore it, even though sometimes that is the right interim approach, is to take a step back, take some time, and we'll talk about how you, you know, when that might be appropriate. Um, but it is important not to ignore it entirely, because um, it doesn't go away, and, and likely will create more downstream problems if um, conflict isn't addressed. So, sources of workplace conflict. I'll just list a couple that I had put up here, and maybe we can ask, I can uh, poll the audience and see if you guys have any others that you would add. So conflicting values, so that could be anything from, um, you know, work, work values, right? So you have nurses who, um, who, let's call them the more mature nurses, you know, who we were raised, I'll say we, because I feel like I'm one of them, we were raised that, you know, that work, you know, you work hard, work comes first, um, you know, it's all about being present and being, you know, it's all about the work. You work hard and sometimes work-life balance isn't important. And then you have the, the younger generation of nurses who really have, I believe, are teaching us more about work-life balance, but there can be a conflict there, right, with, you know, how we, how different generations approach um, our work values interpersonal conflict, so people don't all get along, right? And it's not, you know, we don't have to be best friends with each other, but we do kind of have to find ways to get along. So there's often a lot um, of co interpersonal conflict. Competing goals, poor performance, so I'm sure that, I know, I can see that a lot of you in the room are managers, so I know that you deal with, um, you know, poor performance. Power struggles, do we have any of those? I probably guess we do. Um, competition for scarce resources, so, you know, when there's one float nurse to assign and there's eight uh, needs, you know, that's a difficult situation. Um, Organization-based conflict. Uh, what else? What other sources of conflict would anyone add to, as you think about conflict that you manage in your day-to-day -day work? Team? Culture. Culture, yeah. That's huge. Yeah, that is a good one. Anyone else? All right, if you think of any, we can add to this. All right, so let's hope, I hope this works. Let's see. So this is just a little, all right. All right, this is not gonna work. I know. All right, so it was a nice little video. Uh, <laughs> of the office, if anyone watches the office. Uh, yeah, so then, um, I don't know how else to do it. The link doesn't, isn't working. I apologize for that. Okay, we'll keep going. Maybe we'll keep going. All right. Okay, so. Obviously, everyone knows now what my weak area is, which is technology. <laughs> I fully I own that. Somehow I get to the pointer. I just want to go to the next slide. You want to try to do this? Well, I tried it. It didn't work. Is it in the other 
It's not critical to the talk, so Sorry. we can skip past we it. Go past the end right. if we have time. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. All right. So generally, we all have a way, you know, us. Oh, that did go. There. Okay. Thank you. Um, so generally, we all have a strategy or an approach that we use when we're faced with conflict. So we're not. We're going to spend just a little bit of time on this. This is um, a model of conflict by uh, Thomas Kilman. It's a very standard conflict um, assessment tool. So you can go on the online and you can. There's a test that you can take. It's like I don't know, thirty something questions, um, and then it will tell you, you know, what is your preferred leader? What is your preferred um, conflict handling style? So are you an avoider? Are you a collaborator? Are you somewhere in between? So we're not going to go. We're not going to do that today. Um, but essentially, I like to look at this as different strategies, so different approaches to managing conflict. Because there'll be times when avoiding conflict is the right thing to do in certain situations, you know, and times when being assertive and being directive is the right thing to do. So this is really just sort of an inventory of different um, styles of how we approach conflict. So we're just going to go through this and talk about this a little bit. Um, generally, you, you can't use one style for every single situation. So we all know that. We have, you know, anyone who's been familiar with situational leadership, you know that, you know, based on the situation and scenario, your leadership approach changes um, depending on that. Same thing with how you manage conflict. So this um, model does the, on the, on the horizontal axis, axis is the degree of cooperativeness. So that means to what degree does the other person that I'm working with get what they want? So that's the degree of cooperativeness. And then on the <coughs> vertical axis is the degree of assertiveness, meaning that um, how, how, how am I going to get what I want? So it's how am I going to give the other person what they want and how am I going to get what I want? So those are the vertical and horizontal axes. And you'll see that each style has different variations um, of components of both of those styles. All right. All right. There we go. Woo. All right. So avoiding. Um, so this is the, you know, I'll think about it tomorrow, um, you know, kind of postponing the, postponing the inevitable. Um, there are times when avoiding is okay. So avoiding is low on both. So it's low figuring out what they want, and lo, I get what I want. So it's really kind of just kind of not dealing with the situation. Um, but when is a time that avoiding might be the, the right approach? Jean? When things are too emotionally charged. Exactly, right. So there are times when it's just not the right time to have a conversation with someone. Not the right time, not the right place, you're not in private. Um, the key here is making sure that you don't avoid it in the long term. So, but there are times when avoiding is appropriate. But living in the avoiding space and avoiding conflict all the time is probably not a great strategy. Um, you're kind of postponing the inevitable. You know, conversation is kind of looking at it that way. But it's just taking the time to identify this isn't the right time to have this conversation. So then you have the accommodating style, which is the, um, you know, 
the, it would be my pleasure kind of letting the other person win, right? So if you look at, remember the bottom access was the other person getting what they want. Sometimes that's the right thing to do. Like if you don't care about the outcome and you don't have a lot emotionally invested in how this works out, then let, you know, let someone have, you know, have a win or let them feel like what they're, what they want to do is okay. So it's kind of like just thinking about, um, you know, is this, is this something you really want to invest um, I heard a term the other day called emotional labor. So is this something you want to invest emotional labor in? If the stakes aren't high, it's not important to you, and really build keeping the peace or building that relationship with someone, then, then, you know, then this might be the approach that you take. All right, compromising. So compromising is sort of like the middle of the road. It's a little like a it's not a win-win, it's not a lose-lose. So like if somebody get, everybody walks away from the conversation with something, um, so it can feel good, um, but it really isn't like the, the holy grail, which is gonna be cooperating when we get to that. Um, but sometimes this is, a, you know, this is an appropriate strategy to use when, you're try, when you want to team build and you want to move and advance something forward, maybe you're not all the way there. And then there's the competing. So this is the I win, you lose, my way or the highway. So this is a more autocratic approach. Um, so there are times when this approach, just like all the others, is appropriate. So, um, you know, think about emergent situations. So in emergent situation, you don't want to be having conversations about what to do, right? You want someone to be in charge and you want someone to say, this is what we're gonna do, this is the plan because the stakes are high. It's time sensitive and there's not time for, you know, does anyone think we should defibrillate this patient? Well, you know, yes, <laughs> you know, yes, please. Um, so there are times when this is okay, um, but they're limited in their narrow times, like pretty much limited to either emergent situations or if you really believe in your core, if you've identified what your core values are and you, feel strongly enough that you're not willing to compromise on what your core values are, then sometimes this is what you do. You say it's my way or the highway. Um, I'll give you, I, I think I can give you a little bit of an example here. It might, be, it might not be exactly this, but years ago, um, I took over, I worked in an emergency department and then ultimately ended up being the nurse manager. And um, and I had a very different style than the nurse manager who pre preceded me. Um, and she was very um, uh, unkind, autocratic, called people out in public, you know, just really not the kind of leader that you would want. Um, and so I, you know, eventually ended up migrating my way um, into the nurse manager position and you know, I was very much about being kind and caring and compassionate with our patients. Um, and talked a lot with the staff about how it's not okay to be, to be rude or unkind or judgmental to our patients. They're coming here for help. We, we do not berate a mom in the triage room for not giving her child Tylenol before she brings the child in. We say, we educate, right? We say, Next time your child has a fever, please give them Tylenol. We'll believe you when you come in and tell us that they had a fever. So I was really very passionate about how we treated patients. Um, I had two nurses who didn't understand um, that that was the new way of being a nurse in our emergency department. 
Um, and despite multiple conversations about the expectations, and for me, they were core values. Like you could not work in our emergency department if you were not willing to be unkind and non-judgmental. And I terminated them. And so that was a little bit of a, like I did, you know, make a stand and say this is not negotiable. You know, it's not negotiable for this in this emergency department at this time under my leadership to be able to, to be doing this. Um, so it's just an, an example of where, you know, I did took a stand and said, this is what I'm doing. And I remember talking to this to my CNO at the time and saying, I just want you to know this is what I'm doing. And if this is not the type of leadership that you want, then it's okay, just let me know and I'll go some, and I'll work somewhere else. And it wasn't a threat. It was me saying to her, this is how I roll. This is my leadership style. And this is how the only way I'm gonna be. So just an example, a practical example of a competing style. So then collaborating. So this is sort of the, oh, you know, like the holy grail. This is where everybody wins. Um, you know, it's a, you have to have a belief though, in order to get to a collaborating space, you have to believe that that's possible. So I think that's really key in my experience is if you don't believe that it's possible to get to a place where everybody can agree and get on the same page and move forward, then this won't work. So you have to believe that we can get to consensus so we can get to a place where we all agree on how to move forward. Um, I have some slides that I will include that, that go through this in more detail, but if I went through all of the detail, it would be like an hour and a half and it would be too long. So can I give you the other slide deck that has the, the hidden slides um, so that they can have that content? Okay, so the, the slides will offer you a little more um, objective um, information that you can take in probably more practical use. Um, so I really just wanted to kind of go over that so you all have a framework for thinking about how do you approach conflict and what are the different ways in which you can approach a conflict situation or a difficult situation. Okay, so what is a crucial conversation? Um, essentially, it's a discussion between two or more people where the stakes are high, opinions vary, and emotions run strong. Pretty standard definition. Um, so, um, in most conversations, there are different perceptions of the same reality. Has anyone experienced that? <laughs> I'm assuming by the chuckling and the nodding heads that, yes, that's the case. Um, any thoughts about why that is? why we have different perceptions of the same situation. Yeah? Sorry, I don't want to answer any more questions. <laughs> we have different backgrounds and different experiences. Right, yeah, it's a great, great answer. We all come from a different perspective, different histories and different experiences that inform and, and create who we are today. Any others? All right. So why have difficult conversations? Like, why can't we just live in the avoiding space, right? Like, why can't we just not deal with this? Um, so I'm sure that you know that, per the, uh, according to the Joint Commission, that communication failures account for over 70% of sensitive events. And of those 70% of sensitive events, 75% of them patients died. So. That's a pretty good reason, if you ask me, to have um, some difficult conversations as related to the clinical space and patient care and behaviors and um, just working as a team. 
Um, the AAACN suggests that barriers to communication lead to medical errors. So right there are a couple of really good reasons for us in healthcare to make sure that we don't avoid to having difficult conversations. We, um, they lead to better work outcomes. So if you can have difficult conversations and get to a place where people understand how their behavior impacts you know, patient care or how your behavior impacts the, the, fun the healthy functioning of our team, we have better outcomes. It's an opportunity to learn and grow, improve relationships, increase job satisfaction, um, inclusive work environment. So again, you know, dealing, not managing conflict creates a difficult working environment, right? Because people feel uncomfortable, like how come no one's addressing this? You know, why is that person allowed to get away with that? Um, you know, that just creates an unhealthy work environment and an unhealthy team. So how many of you feel like this sometimes? I'll have to let Mary go. Her performance hasn't improved in nine months. Did you speak to her about her performance? No, I don't want to make her upset. <laughs> so it's natural. You know, we are all care, especially in healthcare, we're caregivers. We like to help people and make people feel better. We don't like to, you know, make people feel bad. Um, so it's our, it's our, it's what makes us really good at what we do. And then also it's, it makes it challenging to sometimes have conversations that are more difficult to have. Um, when I first started in nursing, my ex-husband was in the business arena. And I just remember so many like weekend conversations where you know, in the business world, they deal with things very differently in, than we did in healthcare. And they are, he's like, yeah, that, that would just fire the guy. And I'm like, you didn't do like coaching conversations and documented meetings and three, you know, first and finals, three first and finals. I'm like, you didn't do, they don't do that. Like they, they it was just a very different culture. But in healthcare, that's not what we do. You know, we, we're caring, I mean, that's good, right? That's why we went into this business because we're caring and compassionate and kind. And so it just sets us up a little bit for, a little bit behind the eight ball, or it can set us a little bit behind the eight ball when it comes to having difficult conversations. We just have to recognize that, um, you know, that back to the slide before this, that having these difficult conversations are what we do need to do in order to create an environment where people can care for patients safely. So we're going to skip that one. Um, okay, so we're going to go through a five-step model um, and just talk about, actually, I should go back a slide. So we're going to talk about how you prepare yourself. So step number one, um, or, or phase number one, is preparing yourself to have a difficult conversation. <coughs> step number two is having the dialogue. So it's actually engaging in the conversation with someone else. And then step number three is identifying how do we move forward. So those are sort of the three phases. Um, and this is from Stone, Patton, and Heen, um, how to have, how to just difficult conversations, how to discuss what matters most. Pretty standard reference in the industry. Um, easy read. So preparing yourself. Um, so we all know that, well, we sh I hope we all know that we're the only one who we control, right? We control our behavior, our actions, how we respond to others. We can't control others. We might like to think we can, but the bottom line is that everyone is individually accountable for their own behavior and actions. What we control, though, is how we respond. 
to their behaviors and actions. So it's just important to remember that you're in control of how these conversations go. Um, so you have to be thoughtful in how you prepare yourself to have a difficult conversation. So, you know, thinking about what happened, like what's the conflict about and who's involved. So just assume, I, I go into every, you know, situation assuming that I only know a little piece of information. So I have a piece of information that says, all right, uh-oh, you know, there's a problem here that needs to be fixed or addressed. And then I assume that there's a lot of information I don't know. So the, you know, so the first step is seeking to understand, right? Find out what, it, what did happen or what is happening or what is the situation. Um, and some of that is doing some pre-work, you know, before, uh, you know, having a difficult conversation. It may be talking to others, you know, in a confidential way or in a non-threatening way. Like, hey, I heard there was an issue the other night with transitioning a patient from the ED to the floor or whatever. I'm just trying to think of different examples and just trying to understand what happened. Um, you know, what is the conflict about? Um, and then asking yourself, how do I feel about what happened and what are my emotions? So this is a really important step in this process because when we're emotional about something, then we can't be objective and we're not going to listen effectively and we're not going to learn. Um, so this is really where, you know, sometimes the tincture of time is important. So sometimes waiting a little bit of time is the right way to approach a situation because if we're emotional, then it's, you know, it's not, we're not objective and we're not truly able to listen to the other person. So, you know, it's really just understanding um, how our emotions can impact um, our ability to listen. Um, and then intent versus impact. So this is a lesson I learned early on in my career um, about we all assign, it's human nature, so everybody does it, um, we assign meaning to a situation. So if someone uh, said something or I heard that someone said something, I, would, I might assume they were intending to hurt me, like they were intentionally being mean and they were intentionally talking about me behind my back and they were intentionally, you know, trying to undermine me. Um, so that's my, that's what I think their intent was. And the impact on me was it made me feel hurt and angry and frustrated and whatever but really what they might, that might not have been what they intended. So it's really important to understand that. Um, another example I can share with you, when I was a younger leader um, and I managed the emergency department, I often was placed in a position of advocating for the patients in the emergency department to get out to the floors, to get, you know, this is, I'm speaking to the choir here, but you know, I, I was often in the position of saying these patients don't deserve to stay in the emergency room for X number of hours. This was not at this hospital, this was at a different one. Um, and so my intent was to advocate for the patients in the emergency department to make sure they got to a place where they could be cared for in a better space. But the impact that that had often was that I was perceived as not being collaborative, not being supportive of the entire organization, you know, so quite often I was, you know, called up to someone's office and, you know, um, had a difficult conversation, I guess. Maybe I was the recipient of that, um, you know, where, you know, I really had to stop and think about intent versus impact and, and had to think about how I presented myself. Um, so it's just important to think about 
take the time to understand what the intent of um, the situation, what you think the intent of the situation is. Um, and then what's at stake for me? So what do I, you know, what is, what is going to happen if this, if this problem gets resolved in a positive way? And what's going to happen if it doesn't get resolved in a positive way? Like what's the, I used to ask myself, what's the worst possible thing that could happen here? Like what is the worst outcome? Um, and sometimes that helps to put things in perspective. Um, sometimes it didn't. Sometimes it makes you a little more nervous. Um, but um, it's important to understand what's, how are you being as you walk, as you enter into these difficult conversations? Um, because you, when you go into the conversation, you want to be able to be compassionate and you want to listen and you want to be able to listen without all the emotions that got you to that conversation. So kind of back to you control you and you don't control other people, really thinking about entering into a conversation when you're centered and grounded and you feel like you're in a space where you can have a conversation um, that doesn't turn emotional. It doesn't mean it won't, and there are times when conversations do get emotional, um, but that's not going to advance the issue um, as well as you want. So step two is thinking about, should I have this conversation? What do I hope to accomplish? So, you know, again, do I want to... Um, do I want to hurt the other person? Do I want them terminated? Um, do I want to get to a place where we have a good outcome and they improve um, and we work together to solve the issue? Um, so some of you know that or may know that one of my favorite um, public speakers, authors is Brene Brown. I don't know if anyone knows Brene, but she's a social worker um, and she's just an amazing uh, amazing speaker, and if you ever have a Sunday afternoon where you have nothing to do and you want to go down a YouTube uh, rabbit hole, just Google Brene Brown and listen to some. She does some TED Talks. Um, she actually has a book on leadership coming out in October, so I'm getting an advanced mailing. Hopefully I'll get it soon. Um, but anyway, she's just a, an amazing um, researcher. She's a social worker researcher, and she talks about entering a conversation assuming that everyone is doing the very best job that they can. And so how would a conversation go differently if you, before you walked into a meeting or walked into a conversation, if you assumed everyone's doing the best job that they can? Like that person that I'm going to meet with is doing the best that they can, and my job as a leader is to help them do better. So I'm going to assume that they're doing the very best they can, and now as a leader, my challenge and my job is to help them to be better at what I need them to be better at or whatever the opportunity is. And that was a little bit of a game changer for me because I do now think about that before I enter into conversations, that I assume the best of people. I assume that people are doing the best job that they can. Um, you know, it isn't always the case, but if you go in assuming that, at least it's a better place to start a conversation than walking in, you know, thinking, you know, you stink, you're awful, you don't do a good job, you know, just trying to just walk in with that frame of mind. Um, so, you know, what will happen if I don't manage this conflict? Again, so this is thinking of preparing yourself again, step two of the preparing yourself. How will I feel? If I don't address this problem, how will it affect the productivity and morale of my unit? So, you know, as they say, what you permit, you promote. So if you don't address something in your unit, you're saying to the rest of your department that this is okay. 
So if you don't address someone who comes in 15 minutes late and they consistently come in 15 minutes late, then all of a sudden that becomes acceptable because it wasn't addressed. So what you permit, you promote. Um, and that's really important. You know, people, staff expect us as leaders to take care of these things, right? That's their expectation is that we're managing and taking care of things. So then they think, well, if that person can come in 10 or 15 minutes late all the time, then why can't I? And then all of a sudden your new norm is that people come in at 7.15 instead of 7 a.m. Um, so you have to think about how, and that's a really, that was a probably low on the, on the scale of severity, but it's an example of how um, if we don't address it, then it just becomes, it becomes the, the normal accepted behavior. Um, and then is this the best way to resolve the issue? Is having a conversation the best way to resolve the issue? Um, you know, sometimes it's a global issue. So if it's a global issue and, you know, more than half of your department comes in late, then maybe you start with a general announcement at a staff meeting or a general, you know, resetting expectations about being here on time. Um, but if it's limited to one or two, then it's probably time to have a conversation with one or two. And how bad does it feel when everyone in your staff meeting, you've probably already been there, you've all been there as a staff person, how bad does it feel when your manager is saying, now everyone needs to be here on time or everyone needs to do your competencies and everybody knows that there's two people who she's speaking to, you know, or he's speaking to. So why can't, you know, they're thinking, why are you talking to all of us about this? Where most of us come in on time. Can't you just talk to those two people who are the repeat offenders? So they know, staff know, um, you know, what, what's what. All right. So moving on to step three. Um, so this is this little typo here. So this should say, tell the story from the third person. So um, must have been a late night editing job on my part. So I apologize, but that should say person. Um, so now we're, we're, we're kind of done with preparing ourselves, right? So we've thought about, you know, what are my emotions? What, you know, what am I bringing to the situation? Um, what do I want out of the situation? And now it's time to have a conversation. Um, so this is sort of the, this, this phase is the opening volley um, into the conversation. Um, you know, and explaining the problem is the difference between your perception and the employees. So people often talk about like an XYZ model, which is I heard, I saw, um, it's been reported to me, it's been observed, whatever. So, you know, kind of taking one of those statements. Um, so I, I, I heard that you were rude to the nursing supervisor last evening. Um, it made the nursing supervisor, so then the why is how somebody felt. It made the nursing supervisor feel disrespected. And then Z is, can we talk about this? So it's essentially saying, here's the behavior or the issue. Here's how it made one person, a group, whoever, me, feel. And then three, can we, let's, let's talk about this. How do, we, how do we have a conversation about this? Again, your goal is to have a conversation and a two-way conversation so that you're giving them the opportunity to share their story. Um, you wanna share your purpose for the meeting. So a lot of times, you know, I simply say, you know, I need to talk about something that's a little sensitive or I need to talk about something that might be a little difficult, but I want us to talk about it and work together to move forward in order to move forward. Um, and then, emphasize, again, emphasize your interest in working together um, to understand their point of view and then, and then talking about steps to move forward. 
So step four is listening, listening, listening. Um, so this is where um, is not really we're often good at, or I'll say for me, um, that I, you know, want to talk. So I want to fix things. And so this is sometimes it takes a little bit of conscious energy and conscious effort to, be, you know, to listen, to just zip it, as I tell my kids, zip it and just listen. Um, so you want to make it safe to talk. You want to have a private, you know, a private space, um, a space where um, you can have a conversation like this and it isn't, you know, like going out to the nurse's station and saying, Deb, you know, I need you to come in my office is probably not, you know, your staff, are, the rest of the staff are going to say, what do they say? Oh, Deb's in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, so trying to be subtle about it um, and not making, you know, making it, you know, obvious about what kind of conversation you have. Um, and then exploring their story, giving them an opportunity to share in their words what they believe has contributed to the situation or how they perceive the situation. Um, being, you know, being empathetic, you know, listening, asking clarifying questions, acknowledging their feelings. Um, that's probably really important, most important in the second to the bottom one, listening to the emotions, not the content of what they're saying. So, you know, there's a lot of times where people will say something, but what their, their words don't match their emotions. And sometimes just saying to someone, you know, I hear you're saying this isn't an issue for you, but that's not what I'm observing in your, emo that's not what your emotions are saying. You know, you're whatever, huffing and puffing and you're, you know, you're angry and you're, you know, you're, your words aren't matching your emotions. And sometimes just, you know, sometimes just pointing that out to someone will cause them then to say, you're giving them an opening, right? You're giving them a space to, to have a conversation about how they're feeling. So hopefully they'll take that, you know, take that offer and start talking a little bit more honestly. Um, about where they're at with this, whatever the issue is. You want to paraphrase, so you want to say, you know, what I think I hear you saying is this, um, you know, avoiding blame. So all blame does is shut down a conversation. So blame doesn't allow, blaming, so, you know, trying to assign blame doesn't advance the discussion forward and it doesn't advance, you know, solving the issue. It just, just shuts it down and like, okay, we're done, you know, so just really trying to avoid Blame. That doesn't mean that you avoid accountability, you know, and sometimes you share accountability. We as leaders share accountability in how we got to a, a place. And, you know, I think that's important too, that being, um, displaying humility as a leader and being able to say, you know what, I wasn't, I wasn't at my best in that situation. And, you know, that might have contributed to where we're, you know, why we're having this conversation today. Um, that's really powerful and it, it does go a long way. Um, I found my place having myself having to do that again a number of years ago with a very respected cardiologist in our organization. Um, and he had been speaking at a conference like this at a local college. Um, and he was speaking about um, the importance of getting an EKG within 15 minutes of arriving in an emergency department, which is a standard metric. Um, but he there were, there were nurses from my, from my emergency, our emergency department in the audience, and, he, and they felt as though he was being critical of their practice. So, because he shared, you know, in my organization, so clearly his organization is their organization, and he talked about, um, you know, why, 
why EKGs weren't done within 15 minutes. And the nurses came back and they were really worked up. Um, and they were angry and they felt insulted and that he had not supported them as one of their co his colleagues. And so I just jingled him right up, you know, again, without, I was emotional. I didn't take the time to think this through. I didn't, you know, and I called him and I was like, what happened at the St. Anselm's conference? And, you know, well, that didn't really go well, you know, that conversation. And I learned that, you know, that I didn't, um, that I, I got caught up in the emotions of the situation. So it's easy to do, but I did. I got caught up in the emotions. I didn't think about, you know, calming down, taking time to understand what did I want from him? What was my message to him? What was his side of the story? Um, so it's really easy to get caught up in that because you think you're doing the right thing. So nobody does the wrong thing on purpose, right? We all, you know, kind of like our employees, right? We, we have to assume that they didn't, something happened to prevent them from being able to do the right thing. And we have to kind of work together to figure that out. Um, but really trying to focus on the behavior and not the person. So then finally, oh, we're gonna be done and everything's gonna be perfect. Um, so, so I'm joking a little bit. Um, so in step five is where you really begin problem solving. So you know, how do you, based on the conversation, identify common ground? So there has to be some common ground that you can say, okay, I think we're, even if it's as simple as saying, I think we both agree that this situation didn't have a good outcome, right? So there's no blame assigned. You know, so you, there has to be some common ground where you can, you can start from and say, this conversation or this situation, I'm sure we both agree, wasn't the best outcome for the patient, wasn't the best outcome for the team, wasn't the best, you know, it wasn't your best um, effort in communicating. It wasn't whatever, whatever it wasn't. Um, and then again, like I said before, offering what you as a leader can do differently. Um, and sometimes it's just, you know, just saying, you know, I want to be able to help you. So how do we fix this? You know, how do we work on this together? Um, asking for suggestions to say to them, so how could we prevent this from happening in the future? You know, what are your thoughts about how, you know, this, how we can either prevent this or how do we learn from this? Like, what are our lessons learned from this situation? Um, again, depersonalizing the conflict and moving from me versus you to us versus the problem. And of course, my favorite um, social worker researcher, Brene Brown, talks about sitting on the same side of the table as someone when you're having these kinds of conversations. So instead of sitting across from each other or with a desk in between you, sit on the same, like, or if you have a round table, you know, try and sit on the same side. Just the, because sometimes just the physical placement of having that conversation can make a difference. So I thought that was an interesting, um, you know, an interesting point that she sits on the same side of the table as her team when having these conversations. Um, it seems a little weird to sit side by side, but maybe, I don't know, do whatever works. Um, but essentially, it's just thinking about the power, right? If you're, sitting, if you're sitting in your seat behind your desk and the person is sitting across from you, just the power dynamics of that feels a little intimidating to someone who you're wanting to have a collegial conversation with. So if you're able to, have a conversation that is is not that doesn't create that kind of space. Um, it it helps. I'm not saying it's going to fix the problem, but it's definitely something to consider. Um, you want to reinforce practice standards and expectations, um, and then 
develop a plan for continued communication. So, okay, we're going to agree that and you are no longer going to do X, Y, and Z, and I am going to do this to help you be successful. Um, and then it's really important to identify a plan for follow-up so that you have, and it doesn't have to be a forever follow-up, so it doesn't mean you have to meet monthly or weekly forever, um, but just, you know, there should be some length of time, an interval of time where you close the loop back and say, things are going well, I think we're good, or let's continue to meet, you know, continue to meet quarterly, monthly, you know, what, whatever works. Um, so those are the five steps. Um, so just in summary, um, we talked about difficult, I mean, we talked about conflict styles and how we all have a preferred style and that the, um, we can use different styles to manage different situations. Um, then we talked about the five-step model for having a difficult conversation. Um, and now I'm going to open it up for questions. Thoughts, concerns, want to share a story, anything. Hi. Hi, Tony. That was a really um, awesome presentation. I'm thinking of a meeting that I was in where a group of nurses was clearly upset. And um, another group of people had said, well, the person that you're upset with is not coming to this. And there was a very good reason for that. Mm -hmm. They were so frustrated. That the other person wasn't in the that meeting? the other person wasn't there. But, so the... Oh, boy. Do I have to replay? <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so, so what happens when a group of people is so upset that the things have been brought together to have a very difficult conversation, but... The, um, but the person wasn't there to hear it. But then they were assured that that person who wasn't there was going to be counseled separately. So, so a couple of things I would say that did was this meeting set up? You can keep the microphone for a minute. Okay. Was the meeting established to to, to, to have go, that conversation? Yes. Yes. So. First, I'd wonder, and I don't know the specifics, but I'd wonder if that was the right venue and white right. Uh, that seems like, it feels like the way you described it, an emotionally charged situation. It's, so bringing someone into that as the recipient of that might not be the best strategy. It might, like there are times when it is. So, you know, I've been a CNO before and I've been asked to go and meet with staff, you know, in a particular unit who were upset about something. And so in that scenario, that would, that was, is an appropriate is that's an appropriate milieu to have that conversation, but not knowing the specifics. First, I would say, is it what, you know, secondly, I would say that somebody didn't manage the staff's expectations well, because if they expected that that person, whoever it was, would be there and they weren't there, then that didn't, you know, that, that was a, that was like deflates the, like if I think I'm going to get an audience with someone and I'm going to talk to be able to share my concerns with them professionally and respectfully, and they're not there, then that that just feels bad all around. It really did. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah. So just expectations. Right. So it's just managing expectations and identifying the right venue to have a conversation, which is not always easy. And there are sometimes when you think you've done all these steps and you're ready and you're prepared and then it goes south. Like it, you do the best job that you can 
And sometimes it just, you don't, you can't anticipate everything. You cannot, you know, and then that's when you have to draw on your leadership skills of listening and responding and being kind and compassionate and non-judgmental. And that's not always easy, especially when someone's pushing those emotional buttons that we all have, you know, so it, it is not, this is not easy stuff. It's not. Someone else had a question. What are your thoughts? A lot of times I'll have a, a it could be, I have a triad of people. So yeah. doctors, nurses, and yeah. technologists. And so one might come to me and say, you have to do something about this, or I wanted to tell you about this. And, um, and I have made, I feel like it's not the best decision to say, okay, let me go talk to that other person. Right. And when I do that, I've already sort of I had to check my own sense, like, do your steps, I would love yeah. them, because sometimes I don't, and I rush to sort of, like, ask them, and then they feel like I'm accusing them. So right. one of the things that I've taken from that was to actually say to the person, well, have you had that conversation right. with that person? Right. Because I feel like it's more of a personal thing. And then I tell them that if it doesn't go well, and if you haven't, you know, been able to explain how it made you feel and, right. and how you'd like things to go in the future then I would be happy to sit and do mediation. So right. I find that that's very easy. I mean, right. not easy, but better right. than me just pulling the next person in and asking them right. the other side of it. And that's a great place for role-playing. So as a leader, you can coach that, that person and role-play with them so that they feel more comfortable having that conversation. So I, for anyone that knows me, I hate role-playing, um, but there are there is a time and a place for it, and that's a great opportunity for you as a leader to help coach that person to know, you know, how to have these conversations, like sharing the XYZ method, which is just very objective and it helps frame them. And it helps, sometimes people just don't know how to start a conversation and how to say it. So as a leader, helping them to be able to do that, Gene, is a great, that's a great strategy. And we should be pushing these conversations down to the best of our, you know, as much as we can so that they happen, you know, between, you know, staff or members of the team we shouldn't always have to be the ones that, that, you know, that swoop in and have these difficult conversations. They're really difficult by the time they get to us. So, <laughs> Other questions? Mary? Joni, that was great. I um, jotted down your comment about going into a conversation thinking that that individual is doing the very best that they can today, which I really like. Yeah. And the fact that you mentioned at the beginning that um, communication contributes to a lot of right. very bad outcomes. It almost feels to me like that should, should be some part of our like mission for teamwork here or something yeah. like that, to sort of share that, not just in, with difficult conversations, right. but right. every day, sort of taking out some of the judgment. And, right. Um, no, I think that's, that, that, yeah. is not, that is a great idea. I'll have to bring that back to the team care leadership group and see if there's a way we can embed that in some of the team care work. So that's a great, thank you for that. Other questions? Thank you very much, appreciate it.